Go to Ephesians chapter 4, and we're going to read this morning from verse 7 to verse 16. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 7 to verse 16. And I will share with you that uh, I am preaching to you this morning out of the New King James. Uh, those who know me know I usually preach from the, the ESV, and, but the one that I had I wore out. Just word out, written notes everywhere, marks everywhere. And um, there's a family in our church that, when their mother passed away, they found her Bible and they found all the prayer requests and all the notes and all of the things that she wrote, sermon notes, little things here and there. And I saw the way that they clung to that Bible. They loved that Bible, and so I thought, man, I'm going to do that with my Bibles. Every passage I can, I'm going to underline and mark and write notes and prayer requests. And then I'm going to put them away and hide them, put them, vacuum seal them somewhere. And then when my children are old enough, give them to them uh, and uh, let them have those memories and have something to remember. A legacy of a father who loved the Word of God and let the Word of God have reign over his heart. And so I encourage you. That inspired me. It, it means the world to me. I love that. I got that Bible sitting up in that uh, in the cabinet right now, and I just every time I, I look at it, I just think about my children taking that Bible with them into a fight somewhere, into some dark night, into some hard moment, and remembering this is the, the fight, the sword that Daddy took with him in the many battles. Amen? And so I just encourage you this morning to do that for your children. Uh, but this, this morning I'm, I bought a New King James. I got, I got a little closer. I'm traveling, preaching, and uh, a lot of the churches I preach at, I think, would be more comfortable than uh, if I preach out a New King James than ESV, if you know anything about translation. So, um, Ephesians chapter 4, verse 7 to 16. This is what the Apostle Paul says to the church in Ephesus. He says, But to each one of us, grace was given according to the measure of Christ's gift. And this is the main verse that I want to focus on this morning. I think a lot of us are pretty familiar with Ephesians 4, verse 11 through 16. But finding our context in this beginning or transitional statement, he says, but to each one of us, grace was given. Amen? Grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. Verse 8 says, Therefore, he says, when he ascended on high, he led captivity captive and gave gifts to men. Verse 9, Now this he ascended, what does it mean but that he also first descended into the lower parts of the earth? He who descended is also the one who ascended far above all the heavens, that He might fill all things. And He Himself gave some to be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, some pastors and teachers, for the equipping of the saints. Amen? Can you say that with me? For the equipping of the saints. One more time. For the equipping of the saints. Amen? Why? Why? He says, for the work of the ministry. Amen? He doesn't say that the apostle, the prophet, the evangelist, the pastor, and the teacher do the work 
of the ministry. Amen. That's often the way that we speak about it. Well, God called me to ministry because I'm a pastor. God called me to ministry because I'm an an evangelist. No, God says the only thing that those men are doing, the only thing those people are doing is they are equipping the saints for them to do the work of the ministry. Amen. And he says, why? For the edifying of the body of Christ. You want to know what the work of the ministry is? The work of the ministry is building up God's people so that they can live out the life of Christ. Amen? It is building up the body, equipping the body, strengthening the body, ministering to the body in love so that it can live the life of Christ in this earth. Amen? So that its redemption could spill out through their life to the life of other people around them. How do we win souls? We build up the body of Christ and soul winners will be built up. How do we get words of prophecy and knowledge? We build up the body of Christ and those with the gifts will begin to do that. How do we see miracles in the church? We build up the body of Christ. Not promoting great and spectacular men of God that are the key that you come to them and they do some mighty thing. No, it is the individual members of the body of Christ with Christ living in them and the Holy Ghost at work in them and the grace of God stirring in their life, making the body mature and they minister to one another and build up the body of Christ. Amen. It says, verse 13, till we all come to the unity of the faith And of the knowledge of the Son of God, to a perfect man, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. That we should no longer be children, tossed to and fro, and carried about with every wind of doctrine, by the trickery of men, and the cunning craftiness of deceitful plotting. But speaking the truth in love, may grow up in all things into Him who is the head, Christ, from whom the whole body joined and knit together by what every joint supplies, according to the effective working by which every part does its share, causes growth of the body for the edifying of itself in love. I want to speak to you this morning about individual grace for the corporate body. Amen? Individual grace. You receiving grace. Grace given to you. Grace deposited in you. Grace that is already present. Ephesians or Hebrews chapter 4 says that we go to the throne of grace that we might find mercy and receive grace to help in time of need. So it, there is a grace that we need to receive day to day. Amen. There is a incoming of grace. There is an inflow of grace. But can I tell you there is a deposit of grace that is in you whether you know it or not. Whether Whether you experience it or not, whether you see it or not, there is a grace in you that is your identity in Christ Jesus. And the goal of the body of Christ growing and maturing is so that grace that's deposited in you can then begin to flow out of you. Amen? Praise God. 
Can we seek the Lord for help this morning and ask God to help us as we go to His Word? Lord Almighty, I ask You that You would open our ears to hear and that You'd open our eyes to see. God Almighty, bless the study of Your Word. I ask You that You would quicken our heart and our mind. God Almighty, let Your Spirit prophesy to us. Let it come and speak to us. Lord, let it give, let it give us vision and hope and expectation for the future. Lift our eyes above ourselves. Let us see greater than our own weaknesses and our own selves and see Christ and the purposes of Christ in us. Let us see the mightiness of Christ through our life. Come and have your way among us. Help us this morning. Give us focus. Give us clarity. Lord, we war against every attack of the enemy that would keep our minds distracted from knowing and understanding what you would have us to hear and understand this morning and help us to see it, Lord, to receive it and walk in its power. God Almighty, help us in Jesus' mighty name. Amen and amen. Paul transitions here in verse 7 to a focus on the individual and their place in the body of Christ. Up to this point, the major theme of the book of Ephesians has been God's plan for the church as a redeemed people, both Jew and Gentile, brought into the faith, being the church of Jesus Christ, being the people of God that are redeemed and saved, and through that instrument that He would demonstrate His wisdom to the world and to the powers of darkness. Amen? And so he's focused on the corporate, the together, all of the us's and the we's and the they's, right? All of this plural language. He's focused on the church as a whole all the way up to this point. In little moments here and there, he'll focus on an individual or he'll hint at the individual and their purpose. But all of it is building up to this idea that through the church, the manifold wisdom of God will be declared to powers and principalities of the air. Amen? And so the word of the Lord tells us that Satan goes about roaming over all of the earth. And there are times when he comes and appears before God. Job chapter 1. Amen? And God asks him, what have you been doing? And he says, roaming back and forth over the earth. I've been being a good devil. I've been tempting your people. I've been breaking your people. I've been wounding your humanity made in the likeness and the image of God. I have been tempting them, lying to them, deceiving them. And Ephesians 2 says that there are people who are dead in their sins and they follow the course of the world, the power of the prince of the air, the sons of disobedience following in the stream of a fallen culture. And the whole world is plotting together with the devil, not intentionally, not knowingly. There, there are a few Satanists, right? But even they don't take that serious. The, the idea is that just by being mindful of self and flesh and sin and pride and the world, they are unintentionally following the devil. Amen? And that God's purpose is to come and find people, give them the gospel, bring them out of sin and out of condemnation into the light of Jesus Christ and to make them part of the church. Amen? Praise God. 
God doesn't save people to be alone. Amen? I'm glad you received the Lord Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior, but you've not been called to an exclusive Christianity, just you and Jesus. You've been called to be a part of the body. Amen? And and we've gotten so confused because in day and time, many of us are coming out of experiences of tradition where just so many things are legalistic or form. And one of those things is you got to be in church every Sunday morning. You got to be in church every Sunday night. You got to be in church every Wednesday. And it, and those are wonderful biblical good things. But for many people, it's become merely a form. Amen. The form of godliness, but there no power. And what we have done is many of us in our culture have gone, that's only form and no power. And we've gone, oh, I don't want to be religious and just have form. But now we're without form and power. Amen. We're going, oh, I don't want to be one of those religious people that have to go to church every Sunday. I don't want to be one of those religious people that has to go to church every Wednesday. I don't want to be one of those religious people that puts so much emphasis on going to church. I am the church. If I'm having a Bible study at home and praying and talking to Jesus, that's good enough because he lives inside of me. I don't have to go meet Jesus. I take Jesus with me everywhere I go. Well, congratulations, first year theology student. Student, good job, but that doesn't negate all the other truths in the Word of God. Amen? God didn't save you to be alone. He saved you to be together with people. Amen? And when He saved you to be with those people, He knew what they were like. Amen? He knew it would be hard. And He knew it would be hard for them to put up with you. Amen? Praise God. Every time I begin to think, Lord, I just don't know if I can put up with these people any longer. The Lord will not let me go another moment without going. Do you know how much I've let him put up with you? Okay. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. Praise God. How I'll try to forgive him again. Wait a minute. 70 times 70 a day. What is going on? Oh, I may have to live that out, but we've been called to be together. Amen. And it is the corporate people of God that is the plan of God. And so there is the focus on the plural, on the corporate, on all of us together. But then the question becomes, how does that happen? What does that look like? How does that take place? And this is where Paul begins to break down the individual person's role in the body of Christ and how they are to do what they're supposed to do. And I want you to see the sneak peek of this where he speaks about this in chapter 1 and verse 22 and 23. Chapter 20, chapter 1 verse 22 and 23. And speaking about Jesus being raised in authority and power above all other uh, spiritual forces in the universe, he says in verse 22, and it says, And he put all things under his feet. Amen? This is what God did. Jesus says, all authority in heaven and earth is given to me. 1 Corinthians 15 tells us that Jesus is sitting in heaven and the earth is his footstool. And all things are being brought together under his authority. Amen. That this is an ongoing process from the cross to glory. This is what's happening. That everything has been put under the feet of Jesus in authority. And as the preaching of the gospel and repentance and faith and prayer and redemption comes, 
comes in the, in the earth, all the things that are rightfully his are coming under his feet. Amen? And it says all things have been put under his feet, and he gave him, Jesus, to be head over all things to the church. Amen? Jesus is over all things, and maybe not yet to the world. The world doesn't see it, and the world is a squatter right now. Do you know what a squatter is? You know what squatters are? If you own a piece of property and somebody comes and puts a tent up on it and they get a little bucket that they use for a latrine and they build a little fireplace and they start trying to live there and camp out there, that's not their property, but they're squatting on that property, right? They're trying to claim a property that doesn't belong to them. Well, the word of the Lord says, the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof and they that dwell therein. But there are many people not living like that. And so in government... In entertainment, in society, in the culture, the world is acting like this is our place. These are our things. And you Christians have no place here. And you don't need to lift your voice and you don't need to speak. And you don't need to have a voice of righteousness and truth in the culture, in the world today. And God says, this world is His and He is had over all things. And maybe not to them and they don't see it yet, but to the church. He's over all things. Amen. But God has given him his, over, his head over all things to the church. Verse 22, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. Oh my goodness. Do you hear that statement? He says over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him. The body is the fullness of of him, that all of who Christ is and his personality, his character, his will, his intention, everything he's doing, but in the whole church, he's got somebody that represents that part of his personality. And that part of his identity. Amen. He's got somebody that's loving. Somebody that's compassionate. Somebody that's merciful. Somebody that's aggressive. Somebody that's strong. Somebody that's unwavering. Somebody that's kind. Somebody that's gentle. He's got the fullness of him in that body. Amen. And so I might not see all of Jesus just in you. But if I get that whole body together. Amen. Praise God. Have you ever seen those mosaics? That they'll do, I love this, y'all, there are a lot of artsy people here at F&T, I love it, right? So y'all would get this, that you ever seen those mosaics, they'll take pictures of individual people and put them into a computer program and it'll organize it to where it looks like a picture of Jesus. You ever seen that? Right? All the different shades and colors. And you've got some darker, some lighter, some older, some younger, some with certain color clothes, different color clothes. And all of them look different, but you put them together and it forms that picture. That's what the church of Jesus Christ looks like. Amen? It's a composite. Amen? It's a corporate thing. You put it together and you see Jesus. Amen? And so this is his point, that we are together the body of Christ. And what's necessary is for all of him to be seen in this world. And what happens is chapter 3, I know you know this passage, uh, but it says chapter 3, verse 8 through 10, he says, To me, who am less than the least of all the saints, this grace was given, that I should preach among the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ, and to make all see what is the fellowship of the mystery, which from the beginning of the ages has been hidden in God, who created all things through Christ Jesus, to the intent that now the manifold wisdom of God might be made known by the power 
might be made known by the church to the principalities and powers in the heavenly places. And so the way that the wisdom of God is seen through the gospel is not through the abstract wisdom of the gospel. Amen? It's not just in preaching the gospel, the devils of hell tremble. It is that seeing the gospel demonstrated shows them. Here are the children of darkness who have been translated as children of light. Amen? Here are those who were bound who've now been set free. Here are the people that were offended at everything that now can't be offended in anything because they've taken on themselves the offense of the cross and they've died to the world and self and the world and, and pride. Amen? And so together, the church of Jesus Christ is manifesting the wisdom of God to the world. But what does that look like and how does that take place? He says in verse 7, same passage we started with, All of that to get to the start. Amen. Hallelujah. Somebody teach a preacher brevity. Amen. Teach it. Maybe that'd be a gift of the Holy Ghost. Some of these preachers need to seek God for. He says in verse 7, he says, But to each one of us, grace was given. Amen. Each one of us. There was an individual, specific grace given to you. There was an individual specific grace given to you. There was an individual specific grace given to you. The moment you were born again. He says this has already happened. But there was given to each one of us grace. It was deposited in you. This grace is not just the grace for forgiveness. But it is the gracious working of God in our hearts in a way that we don't deserve. Amen. You know this passage. I'll read it to you. In chapter 3 verse 7. Paul says of this gospel. He says of which I became a minister according to the gift of the grace of God. Given to me by the effective working of his power. So he's talking about the church. And the way that God wants to use the whole church. And he says my ministry to them started because grace was given to me. But I want you to know this is not an exclusive grace. This is not a strange grace. This is not a unique grace that I have access to and nobody else has. He says, I want you to know, you look at me as the Apostle Paul, and I'm your hero, right? I'm, I'm the Michael Jordan. I'm the Babe Ruth. I'm the Usain Bolt. I'm the record breaker. You see me going further, doing more, suffering more, being faithful more. And you go, man, Paul, what a man. Paul says, you know how I do it? Grace was given to me. Grace was given to me. And then he says to these Ephesians, grace was given to you. To each one of you. You Ephesians, you terrible, polluted, dirty people. These these people were some of the most idolatrous, wicked people. Them and Corinth would have had sinner competitions. They're like, we're worse than you. No, we're worse than you. We're worse, right? I mean, they're just the worst of the worst, right? They're terrible. And Paul's writing to them saying, listen, I know you people before you saved We're the most polluted, most dirty, most most ugly. And you've got no reason to believe God can use you. But what I want to tell you is that same grace that was given to me, it's given to you. Grace was given to you. Grace was deposited in you. Can I tell you the reason this is so important? Is because in the same way that Paul says grace was given to him, 
These are not things that can be done by mere knowledge and trying and effort and obedience. They must be done by grace because think about it. Paul was the epitome of the ultimate achievement of religious effort. Amen? The ultimate achievement of religious effort. And at Paul's unique pinnacle of religious achievement, what was his most intense work? What was the pinnacle of his religious duty? It was that he persecuted Christians and blasphemed the name of Jesus. At the peak of his moral ability, he did the worst thing that's ever been done. Amen? And then you want to go to church and strive in your own flesh. Try to be a good Christian. And try to serve God. Can I tell you, if you do it on your own, apart from the grace of God... Your greatest exercise in holiness might be the greatest sin you've ever committed in your life. I wonder how many Christians faced a fallen, struggling brother in sin and were so angry at what he did and thought, you know, I've just got to call it out. I've just got to address it. And the way that they addressed that sin pushed that brother so far that he walked away from Jesus. And they thought, I did good. That was hard for me, but I I didn't let it slide. I confronted it. I did the right thing. And as far as they're concerned, they gave difficult obedience to Christ. And Jesus is looking at them and saying, that's the one for whom I died. And when they already felt so far from me, you went and pushed them even further away. My God, I tell you, you can't do it apart from the grace of God. This has to be a becoming aware of the grace that is in you and learning to live after the life of Christ. And so Paul says, grace was given to you. An enabling of the Holy Ghost, a unique identity in Christ to become what you ought to be. Grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. Can I tell you, I'm here by the Spirit of God to prophesy to you because some of you don't recognize any grace in yourself. Can I tell you, sometimes as a pastor, as an encourager, as a minister that's trying to empower people to do the work of ministry, sometimes if you weren't speaking about the Holy Ghost, you'd be lying. Because sometimes as a pastor, you've got to tell the most discouraging people in the church that God's called them to be an encourager. Amen? Sometimes you got to tell people that are the most frustrating people that God really wants to use them for His glory. When you go, everything they're doing is hurting the glory of God. Brother, God wants to use you for, your, for His glory. And that's you're not lying. You're speaking by the Spirit of God. I have looked at Christians that when I saw them, by the Spirit of God, I saw in them a grace, a calling, something that God wanted them to do. But you couldn't see it on the outside, brother. You couldn't see it with carnal eyes. And what we had to do was speak to that inner man and who they were in Christ. Can I tell you, that's the way that God treats us. Amen? Do you, how many of you remember Gideon? Amen? Turn with me to the judge, book of Judges, chapter 6. Book of Judges, chapter 6. If you judge one another and you speak to one another based off of what you just see, you will encourage, discourage the mess out of everybody. Amen? 
You'll make sure nobody ever wants to serve, nobody ever wants to preach, nobody ever wants to pray, nobody ever wants to lead, nobody ever wants to minister to anybody. Because if we were just all honest with one another about what we saw in the flesh, it wouldn't be very sweet, would it? It wouldn't be very encouraging. Praise God. But what God's called us to do is to recognize grace in one another and speak to that grace and nurture that grace and call out that grace and call out that identity that we have in Christ. This is what it says. Book of Judges, chapter 6, verse 11. It says, Now the angel of the Lord came and sat under the terebinth tree, which was in Ophrah, which belonged to Joash, the Abiezrite, while his son Gideon threshed wheat in the winepress in order to hide it from the Midianites. And the angel of the Lord appeared to him and said to him, The Lord is with you, you mighty man of valor. And Gideon said to him, O my Lord, if the Lord was with us, why then has all this happened to us? And where are all his miracles which our forefathers told us about, saying, Did not the Lord bring us up from Egypt? But now the Lord has forsaken us and delivered us into the hands of the Midianites. Then the Lord turned to him and said, Go in this might of yours, and you shall save Israel from the hand of the Midianites. Have not I sent you? So he said to him, O my Lord, How can I save Israel? Indeed, my clan is the weakest in Manasseh, and I am the least in my father's house. And the Lord said to him, Surely I will be with you, and you shall defeat the Midianites as one man. So I want you to consider the context at the beginning of the chapter. You know the story of the book of Judges. How many of you have read the book of Judges enough that you've got a good idea of the outline of it? Amen? It looks just like First and Second Samuel, just like First and Second Kings, just like First and Second Chronicles, which is the people of God trust God, they're faithful to God, they obey God, and God is at work in their life and they're blessed. And then a generation passes, and the next generation loves the the success, the happiness, the freedom, the blessing of God, but they want to be like the culture around them, and they begin to forget God and worship idols and go into deep depravity and sin, and they get in bondage, and they're hurt, and they're wounded, they're oppressed, and all of a sudden they begin to cry out, Oh, God, save us. Oh, God, forgive us. Oh, God, send us a deliverer. And God sends someone that corrects them and reproves them and restores worship, and they begin to be faithful and they trust God and miracles start to happen and then they get blessed and they love the blessing and they love the stuff and they're just up and down in this cycle of being faithful to God, worshiping God, being blessed by God and then going, we just want the hand of the Lord. We just want the stuff of the Lord. We just want the blessing of the Lord, but forget the face of the Lord. And right now they're in one of those points of idolatry and sin and ungodliness And the Midianites are oppressing them, abusing them, harming them. And then God goes to a man who is of the tribe of Manasseh, which is one of the half-tribes, Ephraim and Manasseh. And it's one of the smallest tribes with the weakest army and the weakest defense. And then he says, my father's house is the least in Manasseh. And then I am the least in my father's house. So you've got the runt of the runt 
of the runt. You've got the weakest of the weakest of the weakest. And God goes to this man who's got just this little bit of wheat. And the Midianites are going around because it's harvest time. And they're going, we're going to find the people that are gathering in the harvest. We're going to go beat them. We're going to kill their men. We're going to rape their women. We're going to take their children as slaves. We're going to burn their homes down. And then we're going to leave. And he's got this little tiny harvest. And he goes to the wine press. This is not He didn't go to the threshing floor where all of the utensils and implements are to be able to do this. He goes to the wine press. They can, nobody will go there. And he's hiding there trying to get a little bit of food so that him and his family doesn't starve to death. And he's hiding. He's afraid. He's nervous. He's hoping no one knows where he is. And God goes to this weak man in a fearful, timid time, just trying to scrape by a living so that he doesn't die. And he goes to him and says, you mighty man of valor. (laughs) And David had to go, I don't feel like I got much valor right now, Lord. Where is the might? Where is the power? If I had power, I'd be out there at the threshing floor with a sword and spear in hand going, I'm getting my wheat here. And if you want it, come and get it. And that's not what he's doing. He's going, oh no, hopefully no one kills us or takes our stuff and we get a little bit of stuff we can survive on. But God's not speaking to him based off of who he is in his flesh. God says, I know what I've called you to be. I know what I've called you to do. I know what I've put in you. And God goes to him and says, Gideon, you mighty man of valor. I know you don't feel very mighty. I know that you've never lived in any valor a day in your life. Your family and their house hates you. Nobody likes you. You're not a leader and nobody respects you. But I'm going to come to you and I'm going to use you to deliver my people Israel if you'll trust me and you'll obey me. And God's going to use him for the good of his whole house. Amen? In this what God does? He says, you will save Israel. Well, Israel, don't even like me. I'm going to call you to be a pastor and go pastor a church. Well, nobody in that church even likes me. They don't even want to hear from me. They don't think I'm special. Or not only do they not think I'm great, they think I'm awful. Good, I'm going to use you. Amen? And this is what God does. God doesn't come to you based upon your own terms. He comes to you based off of the grace that He's put into your life. Amen? And then Gideon says... Well, if this is true and you're with us, then where are you? Where are your miracles? Where are your mighty acts? And what God could say is, where are my people? Where is their faith? Where is their worship? They're far from me. They're not serving me. They're not obeying me. You deserve everything I've let happen to you. But does he say that? He just skips right over it. He just moves right on because he knows many times the question we most want answered, it's not going to help anything to answer it. Amen? He's saying, aren't you glad that God does that with you? That that he could throw every sin in your face and go, look, once you've got all of it right, then we'll work it through your life. Amen? Once we've addressed it all, once we've crossed all the T's and dotted all the I's, then I will begin to use you. He just skips right over. He says, where is God? Where is the miracles? Where is the deliverance? The, the next verse. Then the Lord turned to him and said, go in this might of yours and you shall save Israel from the hand of the Midianites. We're just going to skip right over it. The things that I could throw back in your face. Isn't this what religious people would do? 
You want to be used by God? We're, we're going we're to have to deal with all that stuff in you. Amen. Get all of it out. It's good to deal with some of it. But if I tell you, if we're going to deal with all of it first, you'll never be used. Amen. I've been pastoring full time 10 years, 10 years. And I still at, from time to time go, I don't know if I should be doing this. I don't even know if my leadership abilities are there. I don't know if my gifts are there. There are times where I'm like, man, I see Christ in my life and I've been like Jesus to these people. And there are other times I'm like, I don't know if they even saw Jesus in me. Like maybe he wasn't even there, right? It was just me and them and all they saw was me. And God says, I know what I've put in you and I'm calling it out of you. Amen. This is what God does. God says, I put grace in you. And my goal is to draw it out. Amen. My goal is to get it out of you. And I want you to consider what he says. I know this might seem like a a strange, unnecessary thing. Go back with me to verse 8 through 10 in Ephesians chapter 4. And many times we don't understand this passage and so we skip over it. This is a quote from Psalm 68. And I encourage you, when you go home today... Take notes, go home, read Psalm 68. It's a psalm of David about the victory of the Lord. It's a request for God to come and save. But in that, he talks about how God in the past had already come and came and worked a great deliverance through their life in the work that he did. And he says this, therefore, he says, verse 8, when he ascended on high, he led captivity captive and he gave gifts to men. In other words, God went and found those who were captives and he delivered them and brought them out in deliverance. And those who were the oppressors, he put into captivity and then he led them away as slaves. And so the idea is he ascended from on high. It says when he ascended on high. This idea is, well, I'm sorry, let me go to verse 9. He says, Now this, he ascended, what does it mean? But that he also first descended into the lower parts of the earth. He who descended is also the one who ascended far above all the heavens that he might fill all things. He turns this into a double entendre where he says in the same way that God came for Israel. And in that Psalm 68, it's described as God riding the clouds down to the people of Israel and delivering them and working in their life to deliver them from an enemy. And then the point is that when he delivers them, he takes all the captives, he takes all the spoil, all the stuff, and he brings it back to Jerusalem. And then God ascends again into the heaven. And he says, in the same way, Jesus Christ came down from heaven to earth, suffered on the cross, died, went into a grave, took all the spoils, all the captives, and he ascended to heaven, and now he's left us the spoils. And the wonderful thing in Psalm 68, it says that the king won all the spoils. He won the victory. He defeated the enemy. And then it says, and the women distributed the spoils, right? It wasn't there. They didn't go out and fight. They didn't go out there with a spear and be like, you're going to find out today. Women are mighty too, right? The, the king went out, fought, won a victory, and then brought back the spoils and gave all of it to the women of the city and said, now all of you are going to take in your, because women know needs, right? They recognize needs. They're nurturers. They care. They see things. And they go, you look like you need a coat. I'm going to give you a coat. You look hungry. I'm going to give you food. You look like you've got needs. And I'm going to meet those needs with the things that the king provided out of his victory. Amen? 
And so this idea is that the king won the war, got the spoils, and then gave it to the people who were like, hey, you guys divide it amongst yourselves and give it to those who are in need. I don't know if we got any communists in here, but this is the only time that redistributive wealth works. Amen. Doesn't work in, doesn't work in Russia, doesn't work in Cuba, doesn't work in Venezuela, but it does work here because the king's got all the spoils. Amen. It's been said the problem with communism is eventually you run out of other people's money to spend, right? Because I can't just keep giving you because I took from them. Well, they ran out. Where do I get it from now? Well, the king of kings. And the Lord of Lords says that he gives grace according to what? According to the measure of Christ's gift. It's a never-ending supply. Amen? It doesn't run out. And so the king won the spoils. Jesus Christ came and won the victory. And then he meets the needs by doing what? He says in verse 11, And he gave some apostles some prophets, some evangelists, to pastors and teachers for the equipping of the saints, for the work of ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ. When he gave the ministers to the church, he gave them as teachers and leaders. These are the, the, the main categories. Teachers and leaders govern organization, structure, leadership, and teaching truth. Right, All of it can fall into these categories. And he says, when he gave those to the church, he gave it to minister to the individual people in the body so that they would get the tools and the supplies and the things that they needed for them to be able to do the work of the ministry. Amen? A glorious church is not a church that has found the right man to follow. How many of you have been saved long enough to see cults of personality? Have you seen it? Right? TV ministers, right? People that you listen to, and everybody follows them. And you ask them a question about, about the Bible, and they say, well, so-and-so said, or so-and-so said, or I listened to this podcast, or I listened to this sermon, or I heard them the other day on TV. They're your authority. It's just become a cult of personality. The church is supposed to be focused on the personality of Jesus. Amen? And every pastor, every teacher, every minister is, ought to be trying to get you to Jesus so that you can recognize the grace that He put in you and then let that grace be pouring out to other people. That's a glorious church. That's a beautiful church. That's a powerful church that manifests the manifold wisdom of God. When each individual member has enough to give to somebody else. Amen? Praise God. Can I ask, is your Christianity pursuing and seeking enough for you to make it to another Sunday? Or are you trying to have enough that you can give to other people? Amen? Are you constantly getting just enough to survive only to be bankrupt to then go back to church and get just enough to survive and then completely run out? You get encouraged on Sunday and then come Monday the trials come and you don't know how to make it and what to do. And people around you are discouraged, weary, depressed, full of anxiety and fear and sick and you've got nothing to give them. You've got no life to give them. You've got no joy, no peace, no courage. And I tell you, sometimes we have to borrow one another's courage. Sometimes we have to borrow one another's joy. Sometimes we have to borrow one another's strength. 
And the purpose ought to be that I'm trying to get close enough to Jesus that the grace that's in me comes alive and is there to flow out of me to other people to edify the body, to build up the body, to minister to the body. Can I tell you, I have received from this church. This church has built me up, encouraged me, strengthened me, ministered to me in some of the darkest times of my Christian life. And what would have happened if I had come here and everybody was empty? Can I ask you, would you take a moment? And I want you to think about this. What do you think would happen in your heart if you prayed some honest prayer and said, Lord, I ask you to show me all of the people that don't have what they need because the grace that is in me wasn't flowing out of me. Show me the marriages that are broken because I wouldn't minister to them. Show me the people that are sick because you maybe you've given me a gift of healing and I won't exercise my faith and I won't let you stir me and you provoked me to go lay hands on them and I just felt uncomfortable and I thought, well, I don't, I don't know if I should do that and you just stayed in your chair. If you would think, how many times has someone needed a word of knowledge or a word of wisdom and God would have used you to give it? I wonder who in this church is tormented and filled with fear or anxiety and the torment of the devil because God has given some a discerning of spirits and you won't pray and seek God and get your spiritual antennas up enough for God to say to you, they're battling a spirit of depression. They're not just poor diet, poor exercise. It's not just the circumstances of life. There is a devil in their ear trying to tear down and destroy their faith. And you didn't go to them. I tried to think about that. And the more I did, the more I thought, I don't think I could bear it. I don't think I could survive. I don't think I could. I think I would be crippled if God opened my eyes to see all of those people that are wounded still because I wouldn't go in the power of Christ and minister to them. The times that I was in the flesh, that I was angry, that I was discouraged, that I was distracted, that I had other priorities, the times where I spent all of my time investing in the things that I thought were important for me, but I wouldn't go pour into them, the people that I'm tired of ministering to because I've ministered to them 20 times and they refuse to be encouraged. Maybe 21. You need the endurance of the Lord. Do you know people that refuse to be encouraged? They refuse. You say to them, the promises of God are yes and amen to you. And, and all they have is yeah buts. Man, I hate yeah buts. I, I believe in freedom of speech. I'll die for your right to say things I don't like. But if I could strike any two words from the English language, it would be yeah but. I can't. St- I hate it. I hate it. God loves you, brother. God's with you. God will encourage you. Amen. Yeah, but I'm like, I, in Jesus' name. I don't, can you strangle someone in the name of the Lord? I don't think, 
I don't think that's holy to God. I don't think you can, right? I, bro, I can go sit on Bourbon Street with an alcoholic, a drug addict, and a prostitute and love them all day long. I've been on death row with pedophiles and murderers and the worst of the worst, and I have the love of Jesus for them. But when I hear, yeah, but, brother, it just wears me out. It just, why will you refuse to be encouraged? You refuse you, you won't let God encourage you. God is trying to encourage you. And you're like, yeah, but I don't think it'll work. <laughs> but because I got tired in my flesh, I wouldn't go one more time. How many times has God tried to get my attention? And rather than calling on God, I'd rather be distracted in my phone. I'd rather be busy. I'd rather do other things. And so I just say to you this morning, what would the body of Christ look like if you would let the grace that is in you flow through you to minister to other people? Amen. This is what it says. He says in verse 16, In all things who is the head, Christ, it says, verse 16, From whom the whole body joined and knit together, by what every joint supplied. How many joints? Every joint. How would you like it if one of the joints in your body just refused to work anymore? Right? Just refuse, just quit, right? Your shoulders like, nope, not doing it. <laughs> it just quit on you and refused, right? Every individual part working to move the I can't use I these, this thumb, these fingers, this wrist, this elbow, this forearm, this bicep. I can't use any of that if this doesn't choose to move. Can I tell you, if you don't do your part, other people will suffer. Amen? And he says, by which every joint supplies, according to the effective working by which every part does its share, causes growth of the body for the edifying of itself in love. And the Bible talks about in verse 13 as well that we're growing into the perfect man, the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. If you're the body of Jesus, you're the hands and feet of Jesus, and we're going to close in just a minute. But if, if you're the body, the hands and the feet of Jesus, and all of us individually are members of that body, and some of us are in different stages of growth, how wonky does that body look? Right? If, if we're the body, we're the, we're the instrument through which Jesus Christ works in the world. Amen. How many of you remember that quote from Isaiah that's used in Hebrews? It says, a body you have prepared for me and I will do your will, O God. Right? You've not desired the sacrifice of bulls and goats, but a body you have prepared for me and I will do your will. The Father gave a body for Jesus so that He could live in the physical world and do what needed to be done in the earth to accomplish the will of the Father. And that body has ascended to the right hand of God on high, but Jesus still has a body to do the will of His Father. And the will of Jesus says, I will do Your will, O God. But the question is, will that body fall in line? with Jesus who wants to do the will of the Father. And if we are the measure of Christ's maturity, 
How strange does that body look if we don't grow and mature? Could you imagine with me Christ the head? I know this is not an attractive analogy to think of. I don't know if I've shared this before, but a fully matured adult male head, right? You got the picture already, don't you? And then you've got adolescent feet. Toddler ankles. Juvenile hands. Teenager complexion. Right? And you you just got all these different ages of body. How strange would it be trying to get anything done? Right? Where's Bill Nipper at? Where's Bill, Bill Nip? You in here, Bill? I don't know if he's here right now. But right there, right? This brother, work on anything, fix anything. All of the knowledge that's in his head. I don't know if there's anything he can't work on. All that information in his head. Now, if you would stand up with me, brother. And the strength, come on, do it, do it. Take one for the team, right? (laughs) And all of the information that's in that man. And somebody comes to the church and says, my car's broke down. I have no money to fix it. Can you help me? And he goes, I got all the knowledge in that head. But all of a sudden, those hands that can turn that wrench, right? That can use the socket, the impact. That can do all of those things. All of a sudden, got toddler hands. (laughs) And he can't even get up over the hood because he's got some uh, eight-year-old legs, right? And he's trying to get up there and see. I can't even see the alternator, right? He's trying to, right? And all of that immaturity and He's lost the dexterity, the strength, the muscle memory, all of that. And now he's trying to take the knowledge that is in his mind and do this act of compassion through a weak body. How awkward that would be, right? I mean, trying to turn a wrench, having to use a come along because you don't have the strength, right? And you're just wrenching. I'm sorry, you can sit down. I'm sorry. We were friends. And now, (laughs) I'm sorry. I didn't know I was in a relationship. I love you. I appreciate you. Um, and can you imagine Jesus seeing some weak soul that is tender and broken that he wants to go to in the spirit of gentleness and meekness and you with all the tact of an eight-year-old with a hand grenade go over you're like, come on man, serve the Lord and are so rough with that body We must seek to let the grace that is in us to flow out of us, to mature and edify and encourage the body so that it can grow and build itself up in love so that we can do the work that Christ has called us to do. Amen. Let's pray this morning. Lord, I don't speak to men as a carnal men to carnal men Lord I desire to speak as Christ to his body I desire to speak as the angel of the Lord to Gideon not to condemn him or shame him for his weakness for his foolishness for his inability even to take care of his family or his home or to condemn him for all of his sins or to let him feel how unworthy his people were because they didn't deserve the power of God 
Lord, as you spoke to him about who he was in God, a mighty man of valor, and you spoke to him according to the grace you wanted to have upon your people, Israel, through his life. In that way, I speak to these men and these women today. God Almighty, you are the King and you have descended into the lower parts of the earth and you have come and rode a cloud down from the heavens and you have swept over your enemies and you have defeated them and broken them and you've taken captivity captive and you've got the spoils of war and Lord, you've accomplished a great victory on our behalf and you have come to the church of the living God. And you've said, all the spoils are yours. All the grace is yours. All the power is yours. Will you live in my grace? Will you let my grace be at work through you? Will you minister to my body? Would you build it up in love? Would you not relegate the work of the ministry to pastors and preachers and teachers and missionaries? And would you not put it on them? Would you let them encourage you and lead you and teach you until you're able to do the work? Until you'll put your hand to the plow? Until you'll be the body of Christ that I might stretch out my hand through you? That I might walk my feet into the darkness through you? That I might walk my life and my power into those that are hurting and broken? through your faith and your obedience. God Almighty, speak to your people. Quicken your people. Encourage your people. Strengthen your people, God. For there is no other backup plan. There is no plan B. There is no other option. It is the church. And if the church is not the church, the manifold wisdom of God will be hidden. It will not be manifest. And the powers and the principalities will continue to boast over God. And they'll continue to have their dominance and to think that they're winning. But Lord, you've already won. And you've put all things in subjection under your feet to the church who is the fullness of him who fills all in all. Come and fill all in all. Come and fill every believer with all that you are and manifest it through this world in their life. God Almighty, have your way in your people. Minister to their faith. Call it out of them in Jesus' mighty name. Seek the Lord, saints, and let God work through your life.